I'm allowed to have emotion. I'm allowed to feel how I feel. I give myself permission to feel. everyone, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to an installment of Hurdle Moment from Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your big potential and, of course, have some fun along the way. For today's conversation, I am chatting with my girl, Yasmin Cheyenne. We have chatted before, which is why you likely recognize her name. She's an author, self-healing educator, and speaker. She's also the host of the Sugar Jar podcast and the author of an upcoming book called, appropriately, The Sugar Jar. Now today, Yasmin and I are talking all about let's put it this way, boundaries, but bigger than that, what it means to perform to fit in and why doing that, why performing can actually be detrimental to your well-being. Yasmin opens up about what we need to pay attention to when it comes to our emotions and how to explore those. She says that performing is often happening without our conscious permission. And so many of us auto-perform before we even have the chance to realize that we're doing it. So we unpack that. We explore the different ways that we often perform in life, the concept of being present to the discomfort and why we may be performing in the first place, plus address how performing empties, as she puts it, your sugar jar, and ways that we can stop, including getting to know yourself again, recognizing that it's okay if you don't fit in everywhere, and so much more. As I mentioned, she does have a book coming out soon, so I'm going to link to it in the show notes pre-order. Check it out. Happy to support you, my friend. Make sure you are following along with Hurdle over on social media. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. Also, I've got two goal-setting workshops announced. I will link to both of those in the show notes. These are small group. You've got to be present, but I can't think of any better way to wrap up the year or lead in come January. There's one in December, one in January. Then talking about the big things that we're going after in 2023 and beyond. Again, the link to sign up for one of these workshops is in the show notes. They are first come, first serve. Last little bit of housekeeping. I get messages all of the time asking me for some of my favorites, and I included them in last week's installment of the Weekly Hurdle. I'm talking gear picks, workout clothes, mindfulness tools, plus some really great offers from Hurdle's sponsors. Perfect for gifting. The link to subscribe, if you aren't just yet, is in the show notes. And with that, let's get to hurdling.
Today, I am sitting down with Yasmin Cheyenne. She is the upcoming author of the book, The Sugar Jar, Create Boundaries, Embrace Self-Healing, and Enjoy the Sweet Things in Life, among many other things. How are you doing today? (laughs) Good. Thank you for having me back. Oh, it's so good to have you back. Can I tell you that um, I reshared our episode from last year recently, and people love listening to you speak. I got messages about how soothing your voice was. Oh my god! Well, every time I hear that, I'm so shocked. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going over there? It's good. As I was just sharing, like it's good, and it's also crazy, and like trying to practice what I preach, holding the duality of great things and also stretching in many ways stretching in many ways. Uh, I love that for hurdle podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, as I mentioned just now, author of an upcoming book, how, how do you feel? Oh my gosh. I feel like I cannot believe it's real. I just can't believe it's here. Um, I'm definitely incredibly grateful, but also like as it's tough, I'm trying to like, I don't want to miss this kind of, kind of feeling. Um, I would imagine very similar. It definitely feels like a marathon. So every time I'm on here, I love that I can use all like the running stuff because <laughs> everybody knows, but it feels like that. Like, I don't want to miss this moment that I've been training so hard for. I want to be, I want to experience it. Yeah. Yeah. And when there's like balls flying in every direction, it's yeah. like hard to be entirely present for like any one moment, but I appreciate you bringing your energy and your presence mm-hmm. back our hurdle. Before we jump into what we're going to talk about today, catch us up a little bit on what you've been doing aside from working on this book. What's new in your world? I, you know, recently became a creator on uh, Melissa Woodhouse uh, platform. I have, you know, expanded the offerings on my app. And then also just personally, I've been taking time to not be so busy. I think before it was kind of like anything that comes my way, I'm excited. I can't wait to do it. And I've just been really intentional about what projects I'm taking on and like making sure that I have time for myself and my kids and my family. How do you do it? Take the time. Yeah. Uh, the hardest part is um, I have to like experience FOMO. I, I like most people do not like to feel like I'm missing out. Um, there's especially, you know, being a New Yorker, you, you understand you know, you say no to an event and then you see it happening and you're like, God, I wish I was at that event or I had, I wish I had that opportunity. And I've just recognized that wherever I'm supposed to be at, I'm supposed to be at. And if I say no to it, I'm not missing it. I'm experiencing what I have right now. And that's been a major shift. And maybe that's growing up, you know, <laughs> maybe that's a part of finally being okay, not being in the know with everything. So Yeah. You know, that's a really interesting perspective, perhaps a shift for some to think about that saying no to something, even if you want to be experiencing that thing, is still you saying yes to something else. For Mm -hmm. instance, I have a holiday party coming up that I'm going to miss because I'll be traveling for work in Las Vegas, but Mm. I'll be traveling for work in Las Vegas. So it's like there are choices that we have to make all the time. It doesn't necessarily mean that those choices are easy, but we do have the opportunity to make them more often than not. Yes. And they're not easy. Like I, I experienced the FOMO. I've just been allowing myself to feel disappointed. That's been a huge part of the season. Like hearing the no's, not, not putting myself out there, 
because I'm afraid of what's going to be said, like experiencing all of it. And that's been, oof. yeah, maybe book two. Oof. Oof. <laughs> well, like I said at the top of this, your upcoming book, just like your whole shtick called The Sugar Jar. Before we get into, again, what we're going to talk about today, which is performing to fit in. Why don't you give us a little background, a little refresher on what the sugar jar mentality really is? Yes. So the sugar jar started literally in my living room. I was holding my newborn. I had just come back from maternity leave and I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed because I had said yes to too many things. And I think at the time I thought because the things I was saying yes to were quote unquote good things, that I should be fine. Like, oh, it's a party or, oh, it's a work opportunity or it's this, that it should be okay. I didn't realize that I was still draining myself. And so I started voice noting out loud to myself because I had no hands, newborn and everything else. And I was just saying that I felt like a jar of sugar in which people would just come into my kitchen, take sugar, spill it all over the place. They didn't care how much I had. They didn't care how much energy Um, I need it for myself. They would just take it. And for the moment, that felt really good because then that kind of placed the blame on them. Like they're coming in, they're taking from me. And then I realized the solution to that problem would be me putting a lid on my jar. One, closing the, the front door. Like people coming into your kitchen, they have access to you. But putting a lid on my jar and saying, I'm not going to allow people to just come in and take. They're going to have to ask me. You know, putting those boundaries in place. And it was really embarrassing at the time. I never thought I was going to be sharing this. This was a private, this was a personal thing that I was sharing with a friend because I was overwhelmed and, to be honest, freaking out um, because I teach boundaries. So I was like, how am I struggling like this when this is something that I'm teaching people? Um, This was something that I thought was going to be like a private thing that no one would ever know about. And she was like, this is really helpful. I think you should share this with me, with me and other people on my podcast. And so I did. Um, And so I hope that the sugar jar becomes an invitation for people to get curious about the ways that people are entering our lives and having access to us, not because they are taking from us. Some people are, but usually it's because we're allowing them in and it, hopefully empowers you to put a lid back on your jar, put those boundaries in place and remember that you do have more power than you realize. And it's tough because, you know, people always say, well, what about with my mom? What about with my sister? We could get into that, but that is what the sugar jar is. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally relate to the sentiment you shared about wondering if it would be something that you ever shared publicly, right? Like if it was something that, would serve you. But the reality is, and as it's so clear because you've taken sugar jar way past this initial conversation is that it is something that people need. And that vulnerability was so Mm -hmm. special, not only for you, but also for your community. Absolutely. Yeah. Even when you just said like, it's, you know, the sugar jar is, is your kind of like your namesake. It's so always so interesting to me. I talk about it in a book. It's like I ran from this. Like I taught it the one time and then I was like, I don't want to talk about it again. Not because I don't love the sugar jar, but because it was forcing me to ask myself hard questions that I wasn't really interested in dealing with at the time. And so I've learned anytime there's something that comes up that I'm running from like that, it's because it's an invitation for me to dig deeper. And so the sugar jar definitely like 
that sounds cliche, but like saved my life in that um, I thought I had all the boundaries in place and I thought I had all the negative stuff dealt with. And it introduced me to the idea of healing being a long-term thing. Yeah. 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 And man, that line, I realize anytime I'm trying to run from something, it's really an invitation for me to dig deeper. How hard is that work though? Like we oftentimes we do want to run from these situations that are more often than not uncomfortable digging to uncover whatever it is, is actually a major insecurity. Oh my God. I mean, I just had a conversation today that I was like, God, I don't want to do this. I mean, there's some, there's there's times where I have to have, I mean, let's be clear. I don't have to do anything, but where I know that having a tough conversation or a difficult conversation, that's a part of having healthy relationships. I think we think that healthy relationships mean everything will be easy. Everything will be simple. And it's like, no, having healthy relationships often means there's more emotions, there's more discussions, there's more feelings, there's more all of the things that we usually suppress and stuff down and hide under the guise of resentment and passive aggression and all of the other things. And so, yeah, Yeah. allowing myself to be a part of it, if I say I want healthy relationships and allowing myself to actually do the work for it, it's a tough thing. And I'm glad I do it because then I understand when my clients are like, what? I don't want to do this, but I feel you. I'm doing it too. Okay. So when we say the phrase performing to fit in, spill the tea, what does it mean when you are performing to fit in? I loved these sentiments in your book. Thank you. Yes. In chapter three of my book, I talk about performing to fit in and it is essentially the idea of becoming someone else, whether it's what your family says you should be, society says you should be, your partner says you should be in order to fit in. And the problem is we may fit in, but we're not actual, we don't belong because you can only belong when you are showing up as yourself. I noticed that with myself and clients and things like that, that people would have all of these people around them and they still never felt like they were in community. And when we are not being our authentic selves, we're not saying how we really feel. We're not sharing from a vulnerable place. And so performing to fit in is really keeping us from the opportunity of experiencing true community. And a lot of us just keep people around for the sake of saying we have people. But when we really ask ourselves what we want in our relationships, it's not to be someone else. And it's not to be loved or accepted or seen because we're being someone else or doing what we think is the right thing to do. It's because we're being ourselves. So let's kind of unwrap different ways that we may perform. Let's give some examples. Yes. Okay. So one of the examples I share in the book is I was at this very swanky Upper East Side um, event. And if you're not from New York, you may not relate. But like when New York does swanky, it's swanky, like Cartier, Hermes, it's, 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 it's high class. I had never even been to that side of town and I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, And so immediately I recognized that like having on my like Zara bag, which I love Zara, Zara's very cute, but I was in the room with a different crowd and I had an option, an opportunity. Was I going to be myself or was I going to, you know, we call it a New York front or was I going to be someone else? Was I going to pretend to be someone else? And so we show up and we perform sometimes by acting like we know things that we don't. That's the biggest way that I see people perform. There's so much vulnerability and strength in saying, I don't know. 
And so many people feel like, no, I have to know everything. So we pretend we know when we don't. Um, we may act like we have access to certain things or certain people. Have you ever met someone who seems to know everybody you know, but genuinely you've never seen them before? I've learned that people aren't doing that because they want to be uh, weird or annoying or anything. They're trying to connect. and but But it doesn't come off that way. It comes off very odd when it's happening to you. So people will try to act like they know who you know. Um, and I think another way that we perform is by conforming to society standards. Um, specifically, if I just talk about women, um, feel, pe- pe- some people are married not because they wanted to be married, because they thought they had to. Some people have children because they didn't ha- never had, had an option. Some people have degrees because their family wanted them to be a doctor or a lawyer, and they felt like that's my only option. So these are some of the really big ways that we perform too. And we think that we're fulfilling ourselves, but actually we're fulfilling a role that society or our family or our culture has designed for people, quote unquote, like us. And we may not even know what we need or what we want or truly desire. Yeah. And I also think performing when it comes to feelings can be super dangerous. I know you speak on the performance of not speaking up when something doesn't feel good or or believing in the notion that we're stronger than others and can therefore push through certain situations or experiences and relationships that are hurting us. And in yes. reality, again, ignoring how you really feel isn't going to serve you. Absolutely. And I think we... <laughs> From the time that we probably start school, we're taught to perform, to control our emotions or to control our emotions to fit society's standards of what they think we should be. A lot of us are told not to cry. Um, A lot of us are told to toughen up. Stop being so sensitive is another one that we that that's used. And so over time, we learn how to we don't even have access to our, our emotions anymore or our true feelings. And it shows up in our relationships. The idea, you know, you see this on social media a lot, the idea of unlearning. I think a lot of us are in the phase of life where we're learning how to allow ourselves to feel how we feel, not feeling afraid of being too vulnerable or too emotional um, or saying the wrong thing, but instead choosing to advocate for ourselves. And performance does have a place in time. You know, we don't want to like unload on people that we just met. And also, I've really found like one of the simplest ways to practice not performing is when someone asks you how your day is. Like when we just got on the call, I was like, how, how's it going? I mean, sometimes I say like, oh, it's great. And then sometimes I'm like, it's great. And also it's not, I'm not feeling it. And it's just a tiny, small way that I allow myself to show up here more honest and true than pretending everything is great when it's not. I'm not going to unload every, all my business on you, but also I'm going to be, you know, real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It can be both. It can be good. And things can also feel some kind of way at yeah. the same time. Mm-hmm. You, uh, this brings us back to like where we started this conversation, which is then me asking you, how did you choose to perform or not to perform at that Upper East Side business luncheon? Uh, well, I chose to perform. Um, and I chose to perform because at the time I didn't know that there were any other choices. I think it's important to share that some of the performance was happening unconsciously. There were some things that I had just been taught, like, oh, when you're on this side of town, do this, do that. There were certain things that had been given about that part of town or those kinds of people. And I think this will re- resonate with a lot of people. A lot of us have been given stories, like whether you're dating or whether you're making friends or whatever you're doing, you've been given ideas about how you should behave or conform. And so that was kind of some of that unconscious playing out. But then consciously, 
I was beating myself up and feeling like crap for not measuring up to the standards I had put them on. It was a pedestal. I don't know them. But because they had things that I didn't have access to, I automatically assumed I don't fit here. And so that was that was a way that I thought was helping me feel better. I'll just pretend that I do know. And, and, and gen- genuinely, I felt worse when I left that no one actually got a chance to get to know me because I was, I was afraid to be myself. Right. So because you were afraid because you were making those assumptions because I was making those assumptions that there was no way that I could connect without being one of what they seemed like they were to me. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about hurdles sponsor future. What's the best workout program? Well, let me tell you, that is one that is built custom just for you. Futures, the new workout experience that I can't get enough of. It pairs you one-on-one with your own fitness coach. Your coach will map out a plan based on your goals with workouts delivered to your phone each and every single week. Future, your Apple Watch, and the app all pair seamlessly so you and your coach can track your progress, celebrate achievements, and keep you accountable every single day. Me and my guy, Brandon, have been getting after it in the gym, and I love Future because it's flexible when I need it to be. I've got some work travel this upcoming weekend. I let Brandon know, and he's already got some modifications on deck so that I can still get in my fitness even when I'm on the road. All I had to let him do is fill him in on what equipment was going to be available to me. And just like that, bam, I've got that custom programming still at my fingertips so I can stay accountable when, again, I'm on the move. Get started right now with your first month of future at only $19 by heading on over to tryfuture.com slash hurdle. Again, that is tryfuture.com slash hurdle. Your first 30 days are risk-free and you can cancel at any time for a full refund. Right, right. So what you're talking about here is that performing essentially empties your sugar jar. Let's talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. So we talked about, I walked into this event. I already have these preconceived notions. Um, I am trying to fit in based on the standards that I think they have that I don't know. So these are all assumptions again, and some societal stuff, cultural stuff. And I've decided to perform at this event and I'm beating myself up about the fact that I'm performing at this event while also saying I should have never come. So like all of this is happening internally. Nobody knows. They think, oh, she, you know, I don't know what they, what they think, but they don't know how I'm actually feeling inside. I leave that event depleted because one, any energy that I would have had, any sugar that I would have had that would have filled me has been drained in the beating of myself, <laughs> beating myself up. I continued this. I don't know about everyone else who's listening or you, but like something like that happens. I'm playing that out for a week. Like that's not something that is going to be over tomorrow. I'm playing that out for a week. I'm talking to my friends about it. I'm in therapy about it. Like, and it's now this has become like a week long thing versus the moments that I'm myself, even when it's a little quirky, even when it's a little uncomfortable, I might drain a little bit, but overwhelmingly I'm like, 
whatever, at least I was myself. It wasn't my group of people. I can move on. And I think it's important to mention that I'm sharing that performing drains your jar, not as a way of shaming or blaming, but through self-awareness. That's the only way that we can begin to make changes. And so we recognize that we have a behavior pattern like performing that drains us. Then we can begin to make choices, like conscious choices about what we need to do to make sure that we stay full throughout uncomfortable situations, because you're not always going to be in a group of people who are your people. That's not how careers work, business, none of that, Um, even dating. But how can I stay full while I'm in these situations? I don't have to conform. I don't have to lower myself. I don't have to beat myself up. It would have been really helpful to say to myself instead, you're doing the best you can. I'm proud that you're still here, like those kinds of things. And so I wanted to say that because I think it's helpful that people understand this isn't something that happened overnight. This was a long term. This is a this is a long term commitment that I made to myself to learn how to be there for myself when the opportunity presents itself for me to perform, when the opportunity presents itself for you to perform, and how you can be there for yourself if you choose to, because sometimes we still do, and if you don't. Um, and it still feels awkward and weird and uncomfortable how you can walk yourself through and hold a space of compassion for yourself for choosing you despite the opportunity to do otherwise. Right, right. And I love what you say in the book because I feel as though oftentimes we think like, okay, to remediate this, I can lean into my entire wellness routine. And you write in the book, while you're trying to fill yourself up with wellness tools, setting boundaries and practicing self-care, you may not notice that one of the things you need to do is repair within. You don't need a new jar. There's nothing wrong with the one you've got. You just no longer need to carry the burden of being someone other than you. Yes. I think (laughs) there's every client that I've ever interacted with or every workshop that I've ever been to, the initial question that people ask me is, how can I change? How can I, you know, make sure that I fit in? How can I do a better job at work? How can I, you know, have an advantage in the dating world or on the apps or whatever? I'm like, how about, how can we be ourselves and find people that don't need us to change or shift or conform? To belong. And and when it comes to career and business, I'm always very clear that we can't, yes, capitalism, all those things, I get it. And because we are living within that system, I understand that there's going to be times you're in a room where you don't love the people that are in the room and yet you need to pay your bills because adulting, right? And so when you're in those situations where maybe you can't change the whole system or you can't find a new job um, or maybe you're in a relationship that you really want to to save, um, and you're both working towards it. And it, it feels like you have to choose your, you know, there's so many different situations. Maybe you're a parent. And if you had the choice, you wouldn't have been a parent. There's so many things that we realize later on in our lives. I think understanding that you can choose now to be yourself. Like there's nothing, you don't have to like walk away and it's not too late is my point. Like you, you haven't run out of time because you've already made the decisions that like, if you wish you weren't a doctor, if you wish you weren't a lawyer, whatever it is, you wish you weren't married. It's not too late to decide to be yourself and still perhaps stay in your marriage. If you love your partner, stay as a doctor or change or pivot the way that you do it, you know, change the way you show up on the apps, change the way you show up at work. I think it's really important that we recognize that choosing yourself is 
a choice that we can make at any stage of our lives. And it doesn't have to be something that we chose the first day that we had an opportunity to step out in the adult world. It's something that we can choose right now. You're listening to this and you're like, actually, I'm sick of this particular way I'm showing up. We just got through the holidays. So many of us performed during the holidays just to make it through. Um, and even something small as, you know, whatever holiday you celebrate, if something you celebrate is coming up, deciding I'm not going to have conversations about my dating life. I'm not going to talk about whether I'm going to have kids. I'm not going to talk about whatever my family wants to talk about that makes me uncomfortable anymore. I'm going to find a way to advocate for myself and be myself without having to overgive my energy, my sugar, myself in ways that make me say and do things that don't actually feel true to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many good nuggets in there, especially this idea of like, how do I get them to like me? Like ask yourself, like, do you even like them? Right. And that is such a key theme when it comes to everything from the work that you do to the people that you spend your time with. You're hitting here on, you know, one of the key metrics or instances of how you can stop performing. And that truly is just by doing inventory on who it is that you are and what is it that you like? Who are you at your very core? What are your values and, you know, kind of where you go from there? In the book, you write, get to know yourself again. So what do you mean really by getting to know yourself again? Yes. I think so many of us haven't had the opportunity to do that in the beginning. We were told who we are. I don't know about you, but like in my family, it's like, oh, you know, we're Brooklynites. We're New Yorkers. This is what New Yorkers do. We can make it anywhere. We can make it through anything. I really carried that as I can suffer through. Mm-hmm. I can push through. Like I remember when 9-11 happened and the next day after uh, September 12th, um, School was off, but September 13th, school started again and everybody went back to work. And I remember everyone in my family being like, yeah, because we're so resilient. And I, I'm not saying that's not resilience. I'm saying sometimes we carry that kind of, I just went through an incredibly traumatic experience and I'm going to move on like nothing ever happened with us. And that's performing. We don't even ask ourselves, but what do I need? Yes, the city of New York, my family might feel like this is resilience, but what do I need? So I think it's just important to really check in with yourself and ask, what are the things that fill me up? Not what my family needs me to do, not what my friends need me to do, not what my partner needs or what I feel like I have to be as a parent. How can I support myself? How can I be there for myself? How can I get to know myself in a way that feels true to me? Maybe I think things like gardening or doing something like roller skating is really exciting, but I never do it because I feel like everyone will think it's weird. Or um, I want to do something different with my hair, but I feel like I want to actually conform. It can be in the small things like that and also big things, asking yourself about what you want to do within your career. And and again, I think being really key, because I think this is important, so many people feel like they have run out of time. Like I'm 35, I'm 45, I'm 55. It's too late for me to get to know myself again asking yourself, are there any belief systems that I have in place that limit or keep me from asking myself those questions? And that happens so often too. And I'm sure when it comes to like training for a marathon, people feel like, oh, that, that ship is sailed. I can't do it anymore. You know, I'm not as young as I used to be. Um, I definitely felt like that when I started running again. I told you that. Um, I'm not in the military anymore. I can't start that. 
Um, that's a belief system. That's a belief system based on scarcity and based on what I think I have to be in order to start something. Maybe I can't win a marathon anymore, perhaps, but I might be able to run it and enjoy it. And I think even perfectionism gets in the way of us getting to know ourselves and starting something different. And yeah. You know, you said something that beckons the question. If someone is trying to figure out who it is that they are, what happens during that process if they start to realize that maybe they don't really like what they're discovering? Mm-hmm. That's the hardest part, I think. Um, and that's why I keep bringing up really tough things like parenting, like marriage, like career. Those are often the key arcs of what we choose people. I mean, it's ridiculous that whether you decide to be a parent or not is still such a big discussion. And yet people feel like they really have to defend their decisions because of what society says about what we should or shouldn't be doing. And the same thing goes with marriage and career. And if you find yourself in a situation where you've chosen something, whether it's those three things I mentioned or something different, that you realize you don't want any more. What would it feel like to just give yourself the opportunity to explore the things that you know for sure are of interest? We don't always have to have the next answer. Like it doesn't have to be a hard and fast. I know that I want to, you know, go off and explore, you know, different islands, or I know I want to, you know, get into swimming or scuba diving. If you don't know what it is, what are the things that you like? And I, that's why I think having something I call a joy list, which is just a list of like 10 to 15 things that you really enjoy. Some of the things on my list are gardening, dancing, um, listening to music, cooking a special meal. When I find myself wondering if I've committed to something that I'm not sure that I love, I immediately go to my joy list and do something that I know I love. And I find in the process of doing things that I love that I remind myself of the other things that it's like it's a it's a, a ripple effect. As I'm doing something I love, I start to remember other things that I love, other things that bring me joy. It gets me out of the logical place of having to have the right answer and into the feeling place of remembering when I'm connected to something that feels good, I have more access to my true emotions, to my true needs, to what truly feels good to me. And so, especially for my logical folks, especially for my recovering perfectionists like myself, allowing yourself the space to do something different. I want you to put down the pros and cons list and pick up a paintbrush. <laughs> yeah. Just get out of that like heavy thinker energy, yes. that super logical place and ask yourself genuinely, how do I feel and listen, which mm-hmm. again is challenging. Yes. And there's a chapter in the book called, how do you feel? And it's because when people think about the things that got them to where they are. Like if you find yourself in a relationship or a job or whatever, where you feel like, how did I get here? We often think, one, I want to heal. Two, I want to set boundaries. And I, I, I caution you to think, how do I feel first? Because when we set boundaries based on, I want all of this out versus what do I want in? We end up putting up walls instead of putting up permeable boundaries that we know, okay, I said, I'm not dating this kind of person anymore. Not I'm done with dating period. I said, I'm not doing this kind of job anymore versus I'm done with corporate. Like we put up these very wide, uh, generic rules because we're trying to keep ourselves from being hurt rather than recognizing, actually, I just don't want that kind of thing specifically. 
Yeah. Oh my God. What an important, important takeaway. Now I know that you, because I follow you closely on Instagram are all about giving us mantras, giving us things that we can follow along with to transition perhaps into these new spaces of feeling. So when it comes to releasing this energy, when it comes to skipping over performance and embracing who we truly are, where is it that we can begin from a mantra POV? I love say it with me. Um, I feel like when you say, say it with me, you're including the universe, God, whatever you believe in your mantra, but also remembering that like collectively we're all saying it too. So when it comes to how I feel, I would say, say it with me. I'm allowed to have emotion. I'm allowed to feel how I feel. I give myself permission to feel. And I think that's a great place to start from because so many of us don't even feel like we should have access to our emotion. Um, If you're a recovering strong friend or strong partner, um, if you are a recovering people pleaser, maybe codependency, all of those kinds of things where all you've been doing is pouring out and holding space for other people, you may not have even had connection to your emotions or can remember real relationships that were healthy where people were holding space for you. And so practicing holding space for yourself is a great place to start. It's a great place to start. Wow. This was such a good conversation. Is there anything that you want to add before I let you go? I just want to say thank you. And I hope that um, for listeners, if they get the book, that they treat this as an invitation to get to know themselves um, in a different way. And also um, share with friends and family that you know, are interested and open. We're not like heel bombing people and saying, Hey, you need to do some work, but yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Okay. So if they don't follow you already, Yasmin, how do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give us the info. Yes. Yasmin Cheyenne on Instagram and uh, yasminshan.com slash books to pick up the book. Perfect. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at hurdle podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.